Hello, Bridgetown Church, and those of you joining us online, if we haven't met yet, my name is Bethany Allen, and I'm one of the leaders here at Bridgetown. In light of our current moment, we know that many are facing varying and new relational and emotional and spiritual realities in light of COVID-19. Life in quarantine, social distancing, and all that comes with it is complex, to say the least. And so we thought it could be helpful to offer up some of our in-house resources around transitions and grief and loss, really in the hopes that it will serve and help us as the church best navigate and steward these really unprecedented times. Now, why these two topics specifically? Well, if we take inventory of the moment, it becomes pretty apparent that we are in, both on a global and local scale, a transition, or maybe better said, many transitions. The landscape of change before us is unknown, and it is still ever-evolving. And so we thought it would be helpful to lay out a framework and provide a few tools for how to define and navigate this moment and the many more moments that lay ahead of us. Next, and maybe this one is a bit more obvious in light of a pandemic, uh, but right now, no matter who or where you are, there is and will be a very real dynamic of grief and loss. It is a part of the fabric of our lives present and future. We are in real time experiencing an unprecedented amount of loss collectively and individually, which means, especially for us as apprentices of Jesus, there is and again will be a very real need to work through and steward our pain. So with that said, on this podcast, we will cover transitions, and then it will be followed by another podcast or two on grief and loss. So be sure to check those out as well. Now, before we jump in, a couple thoughts. First, the timing of this podcast is intentional and we think important. As we move ahead in the ever-changing landscape that is COVID-19, we believe it's important to realize that our processing doesn't start when it's all over, but it in fact needs to start now. And boy, oh boy, is there a lot to process. Now, humor me for just a second. Take a moment and just think through a transition you have experienced over the last few weeks. Was it the loss of a job, the loss of a rhythm, the loss of a loved one, the loss of your freedom? Just take a second and think about it. Now, for me, it's been my schedule. So much has shifted and is still shifting and really isn't settled yet. And that has been a massive transition for me. The point in having you think through that one transition really is just to highlight that transitions are massive and the implications of them are ever-reaching, which means that there is great value in processing now what is happening now. There are ideas and insights, healing and freedoms that we gain when we engage the process. And what we process now will actually allow us to leverage both this moment and future ones for good. The hope in processing now is to ultimately help avoid a delayed response to processing transitions in the future. As many of us know, when we don't process, we often experience compounded reactions, which can actually hinder and hijack our process altogether, leaving a lot of us in a precarious space at best. Now, second, I also want to mention that this changing of our current landscape isn't over, which I know can be a little depressing. We have a lot of unknowns ahead of us, a lot of uncertainties around timing and vaccines and quarantines, which means it's important that we, especially as apprentices of Jesus, get a framework on how to view and process transition well. 
how to help navigate both what has happened to us and what is and will be coming. If we can get a framework in place, I believe, we'll be able to embrace all the changes ahead with greater peace and hope, which is our ambition. I believe in that we'll also bear a greater and maybe more true testimony of Jesus to the world around us. Now, finally, one more thought. For many of us right now, we're experiencing what I call the wall or the plateau. It's that emotional dip that happens post-adrenaline rush that can keep us from moving ahead into the unknown. Many, including the children in our life, despite having a lot to do, are in a space of feeling stuck. Many are feeling overwhelmed and exhausted and confused and anxious and lonely and maybe even sped up. And while this is somewhat of a normal response to trauma, it is one that we need to acknowledge and actively acknowledge in order to work through it and move ahead. Now, the good news is there is a surprising gift to the wall. In this space, we actually have more access to ourselves than we did when we first entered the crisis. Adrenaline uh, hijacks our ability to explore and notice and welcome different emotions and experiences and sensations, all of which are essential to helping us navigate and be present to what we need and how we are to move forward, meaning that it's in the places of plateau or the wall that we actually can start the good work of healing. And so that's what we're planning to do today. Now, with all of that said, let's jump in. First, I want us to talk through the definition of transition, kind of get on the same page, and then I'll spend some time unpacking a bit more uh, about it. So transitions, this is how we define them. They are the process or the instance of changing from one form, state, activity, or place to another, all of which usually prompts both an internal and psychological event. A transition, in so many words, is an opening that has been created by change. And while it's often viewed as a negative reality, because there is loss here, among other things, it is, for the apprentice of Jesus, also an opportunity. Think about it. Transition, by its definition, is the reconfiguration of something. And it's that reconfiguration that always gives way to a new future or outcome, which means Transition is often the soil for new growth and radical transformation. The redemptive and I think helpful image for a transition is that of a threshold. It can be both big or small. You cross a threshold one of two ways. Either you fall through it or you're pressed through it due to the pressure of your limits and circumstances, or you walk through it. But either way, you cross over into something new, and forward is your only trajectory. Now, there are four dimensions or four types of transition. There are expected transitions, unexpected transitions, personal transitions, and communal transitions. A word on each. Now, expected transitions are those type of transitions that you, well, expect. So think more along the lines of a baby or moving into a new house or starting school somewhere. This is a kind of transition that you have anticipated or have expected to happen. These are sometimes easier to process, largely because you have a bit of an on-ramp to get to them and to process them in real time. Now, there are also unexpected transitions. This is the second type that we want to talk about. And unexpected transitions usually look a little bit more like a diagnosis or the lo sudden loss of a loved one or even a pandemic. And these are usually uh, out of the blue. They're usually not something you are expected or able to plan for, which is what makes them so difficult. 
Third, there is the personal transition. And this is really a transition that affects you individually and intimately and personally. This can look like the loss or change of a specific relationship. This can look like the loss of a job. Um, And these, again, impact you in a personal way. Now, finally, there is uh, the idea of a communal transition. And this affects communities. Think local and global, small groups and nations. Uh, A good example of this is also a pandemic uh, or an economic collapse or the instituting of a new leader to a nation. This all affects uh, a community and it, it provides lots of avenues for transition. So four types of transitions, expected, unexpected, personal, and communal. Now, you may be asking, why is it important to classify transitions this way? Great question. Identifying these transitions actually help us know where to start and what framework to have when processing a transition we're in. Now, that sounds simple, and really, it is a starting point for so many of us, which is why it's essential. Now, quick pastoral word or an aside on that. When you're doing this work of identifying, it's going to be very important that you acknowledge and even go back to your family of origin to help you understand your responses to each of these types of transitions. For example, think back to a time when your family experienced an unexpected transition. How did it go? What did it look like? What emotions did your parents display? Did you feel safe, taken care of, or dismissed and quieted, maybe even forgotten? What about a time when these realities were compounded? Think of a time when you experienced an unexpected transition as well as a communal transition. What did that look like? Knowing your past with these different types of transition will radically inform your present experience. If you have trauma or a triggered response to transition, and by the way, most of us will, you have to consider what is happening in you, in your response, because it's likely reflective of what you have already experienced in the past. It is important to entertain the fact that there may be a trauma response happening alongside your other natural responses. My point is this. Transitions have impact, and they reach both backwards and forward uh, far more likely than we give them credit for. So be mindful of the reality that transitions have ripple effects, and unfortunately, there is no escaping that. Okay, so now we have our definition, and we have our types. Let's take a bit of a left-hand turn and talk for a moment about our natural or unconscious responses to transition. Now, a quick disclaimer here. While there is a reality to this being a natural or our natural response, it doesn't have to be a guaranteed one. It can be one that over time we navigate and even change with healing and knowledge and discipline. Now, again, that takes time and work. So more often than not, many of us will experience some iteration of one or some of these responses. Okay, so the first and most common response is what we're calling disintegration. Now, simply put, disintegration is the idea of something that was once whole or integrated becoming separate or separated. Now, if that sounds a bit abstract, just stay with me. Disintegration is an effect of both sin and evil in the world. 
It happens when we encounter those realities, and its impact is the separation of our integrated self. The areas that are most likely to experience disintegration, especially in transition, are things like our sexuality, our relationship to self and to others, our emotional health and well-being, as well as our spiritual selves and our relationship to God. Now, some people disintegrate more neatly than others. Some of us are like spaghetti, hello, and others more like a waffle. Some are able to more easily compartmentalize, which, by the way, doesn't mean it's the most healthy, and others uh, will be more explosive. The point here is that in transition, we will all be confronted with disintegration of some kind, with a desire, whether it be from a place of survival or other reasons, to separate from operating holistically, causing many of us to stop our healthy rhythms or to overwork a part of ourselves that actually needs rest and recovery. Now, though this is an often an unconscious response, it is still one that we need to be responsible for, which means we'll need to not only take inventory, but be regularly checking in to ensure that we're doing what we can to stay integrated and healthy. Now, one more thought here. I think it's important to note that the primary gateway to disintegration is through the act of numbing. Because when we numb, we don't just numb negative emotions, we also numb positive emotions by proxy, which keeps us separated from the primary way we process and integrate. So, in short, keep a watch on those numbing mechanisms, as they too can lead you to more disintegration. Okay, another response uh, we can have to transition uh, is comparison or competition. Transition has a way of throwing you out of your normal understanding of self, and this is, as you can imagine, uh, really an uncomfortable place to be. It leaves you searching for stability and for clarity on what life should look like or feel like. So we often in that space begin to look to others for that. Cue things like Instagram. It's easy to buy into this illusion of a better life in times and transitions, so we often overdose on looking at other people's lives, of taking inventory of what they have and what we don't have. So here it's important that we're mindful of the ways, even in this current transition, of how we're measuring or comparing ourselves to others, what they're doing, how much money they have, how and what they're feeding their children, so on and so forth. Be mindful of these things as they can easily be a response to the transition that's taking place. Now next, uh, I want to talk about desperation meeting desolation. Again, a bit of fancy language, uh, but, but let me explain. Now, I understand that that's not completely clear, but often, and especially in times in transition, the desolation of our lives only increases our desperation. Unhealthy cycles of not having or getting emotional or spiritual and relational needs met perpetuate this spirit of desperation. Uh, and they're not bad, per se. Uh, often in transition, they just can't be met, those needs, and so you have to find a way to deal with them. All that to say, this leaves us vulnerable, which means, again, we need to be mindful of those desolated places in ourselves, those places where we're already lacking connection or healing or strength, those places both prior to transition and because of transition. And really, our ambition there is to work to process those spaces within us in a healthy way so it won't produce unnecessary desperation. 
Now, finally, in transition, I think it's fair to expect some kind of trauma response. So I'd say that some of our unconscious responses here will be traumatic, uh, including things like trauma bonds uh, and other responses. Now, for many, this will fit under the uh, idea of fight, flight, or freeze. Many in times of transition are uh, in tr times of transition that are traumatic, lean into different identities. So some will become conquerors, others escape artists, and still some will be seemingly exactly as they have always been. This is sometimes a symptom of that trauma response, the fight, flight, or freeze category. Now, in a trauma response, uh, many will be prompted to desire or to return to old or safe uh, relationships or behaviors. Uh, which means we have to be mindful in this space specifically of our old patterns. Uh, think of it this way. They are a lot like sneaker waves. They show up out of nowhere, and they come and can pull you down pretty quickly. And again, this could be old relationships, old eating habits or lack thereof, unhealthy coping mechanisms, and so on. Now, just a quick word here for and about the children in your life in the arena of unconscious response to transition. For kids, this response uh, looks like a reversion oftentimes in behavior, things like potty training or sleep habits, fighting with siblings, defiance, among other things. Or it can look like a good change, so helping out a lot or not throwing fits or maybe caring for siblings. Now, both are attempts at maintaining order and control. Even a change towards good behavior can be an unconscious response by which the child is unconsciously trying to barter with you or with the world or with God. But no matter the behavior of the child, these actions or non-actions are at some level a bid for connection because they, like we, have been wired to be relational, like God, uh, in whose image we actually bear. In her book, Spiritual Conversations with Children, Lacey Finn Borgo, who is a child spiritual director and is brilliant, says that when you see a child's behavior, recognize it as a bid for connection. And when you notice this bid, make a quick mental check. She says to use the acronym BOW to guide that check. B here stands for uh, body. Is my body open to reflecting and welcoming and desiring connection? O, ask yourself, am I open to vulnerability and the possibility of change? And W, can I wonder with this child about the deepest thing that is stirring in them? Borgo says that to be fully present to a child is to bow in submission to the one who is present in every encounter. Okay, so now we have an idea of our natural or unconscious response to transition. I want to take another minute and talk about our current moment. We are experiencing what I believe to be a compounded transition, and it is profound. Just last week, John Mark was wisely talking about how there is wisdom in recognizing that in this pandemic, so much is still uncertain. This is a never-before experience for everyone. And there is, at least not yet, a great expert to help guide us and lead us in this moment meaning that there are layers to the transition we are in, and with that, new territory for so many of us to explore. Now, my hope in drawing attention to this is not to freak you out, but to help you honor in yourself and in those around you the depth and power of what is taking place. You'll note that some of these transitions I'm about to mention are good, and others are less good. And also, I want to be very clear to say 
This isn't an all or nothing list. It's simply one that I hope will give you a framework just for some of the reality of a compounded transition um, that we're in and that we're facing. So here we go. Let's talk about compounded transitions, specifically in regards to our current moment. Now, I want to start by addressing our current global transition that we're in. And I, I can honestly say to you and really want to that this is from a Western perspective. Um, so please consider that as I'm sharing. Now, one of the main uh, transitions I see before us at a global level is uh, a transition in ego, uh, or maybe better said, a sense of self-importance. Uh, we have had a strong one, at least in America, a strong sense of importance. Uh, and so in this moment, our transition has gone from strong in so many ways to vulnerable. And this happened really, I think, in a moment. So at least what it's felt like. So there, a massive transition for us as people who identify either as Americans or Western culture people. We have felt strong and capable. And yet in this moment, we are still very vulnerable. There's also the physical kind of transition of what's happening at a global level. We have gone from being healthy, in so many words, uh, as, a, as a whole in the globe, to sick and, again, vulnerable. And this is a transition to shift for us, even mentally and emotionally, to connect to. Next, we've seen an economic shift at a global level. We went from secure to insecure. And again, that is affecting each one of us individually, communally, and and uh, corporately. And this is a really significant shift taking place right now in this moment. We've also seen a shift globally in leadership from trust to distrust. And again, that transition is very significant for us as we consider uh, our days ahead. Now, just a quick note. While kids aren't usually conscious of this level, this global level of transitions, it still has an impact on them because it's impacting us. So keep that in mind as you're considering this transition in light of the children in your life. Another way we are experiencing a compounded transition is at a, a local level. Think city. So I'm going to use Portland as my example since it's my city. So here we're experiencing first and foremost a culture shift or a culture transition. We have gone from being a very independent culture to a dependent culture, from being very individualistic to having to consider the communal realities of our presence. And that has been a massive shift for us culturally. We also have to think, uh, at least economically for us, we are a very a small business heavy community and proud to, do, to be that. And yet in this season, we've had to go and shift into more biz big business realities. And again, that's a transition for us to make culturally uh, as a city. Um, in the creative realm, we've seen um, a shift or a transition in expression. Um, and we are uh, abundant in our expression of creativity in Portland, but now we have really shifted from free creative expression to it coming out of scarcity and need and necessity, which is, again, a, a unique transition for us. Uh, we've also uh, shifted from being a pleasure-centric um, kind of culture, more indulgence-driven to essential Driven, And again, that's been a transition for us, and it's impacting us as a church community, uh, as well as us as a city as a whole. So been a pretty significant shift. Uh, next, I just want to speak to the kind of communal compounding transition we're in. And when, you, when I say communal here, I'd like you to think church or schools. Um, uh, kind of in that realm. We've shifted a lot in the communal sense of our identity. So we have gone from many to one. 
we've shifted and transitioned in our space of connections. So where we used to have an identity of belonging, we now have an, an identity uh, or source of connection through isolation, which is very different. Um, when I think about resources, we've had a transition from being able to hoard what we've had to now needing to share what we have. And again, another significant transition. And then finally, just another word on the personal side of things. We are experiencing compounded transitions in, in a really profound way. And uh, especially, I think, through intimacy. So think about how we've transitioned from closeness to now having to exist at a distance. We've had uh, the opportunity of having touch points in the past. We've had rhythms of touch points. And now those rhythms have been interrupted. So now we live in a rhythm of interruption. And then our transition uh, from being people who could avoid the inner world uh, now means we have to be people who become observant of the inner world. And again, all of these realities are impacting us in a compounded way because while we're having a glo global transition, we're having a communal transition and a local transition and a personal transition. And all of these things make transition just that much harder. The amount of transition happening in all of our lives right now is very real. So the question we have to start asking, if we haven't done so already, is how do we consciously work through these transitions? Well, first, we need to get a strong grasp on the elements of transition. What makes up a transition? There are three key components, and they exist in this order. Ending, neutral zone, and beginning. Let's talk about each. Uh, transition always, quote-unquote, begins with an ending. In uh, the ending is where we start. So it's there that we identify really who is losing what. And this is the start of processing your transition. Identify who is losing what. So again, at a, at a global level or a local level, we can identify who is losing what. We're losing our independence. We're losing our freedom. We're losing our economic security. Those kind of things. Just begin to name who is losing what. Now, as you do this, there are going to be some common feelings that rise to the surface. Uh, I think about the one most present to me is that I know many who are feeling hijacked emotionally in this season, hijacked in the sense that they have weddings that are coming up, graduations, funerals, birthday parties, sleepovers, summer vacations that have now been, quote unquote, hijacked by, hi by COVID. And there's real grief in that. Naming that is a significant part of working through that transition. I also think about how people no longer have FaceTime. And so there's a, an element to losing that relational stability of connection. Again, that's impacting us in a really deep way. So first part is ending, identifying who is losing what. Now, in the ending, we also have to begin to accept the reality. So that means really coming and being present to this moment, not to the future and not to the past. Transitions have this unique way and really demand in so many ways our present attention to what is, which will mean we have to start practicing acceptance. Um, now, a quick word about that. Acceptance is not the same thing as passivity. Acceptance is complying with the limitations of a reality, but not embracing the chaos or evil of it. Passivity embraces the chaos and evil, as well as the limitations of a situation, and yet it renders someone actually ineffective in their process of acceptance. So here, be sure to practice truly accepting reality, accepting what is. Next, in the ending, we acknowledge uh, the losses we're experiencing openly and sympathetically. 
we talk about, we'll talk about this more at length in our next podcast, but basically the heart behind this is to embrace and acknowledge what is being lost. And you do that openly. And that means that you do that with God and you do that with others and you do that with self. The lie is that you need to process this alone or in isolation. And that is actually counterproductive to what it actually needs to do in you. So acknowledge your losses openly and then do it sympathetically. Uh, This means that you're going to be sympathetic with yourself as you acknowledge the losses that you're feeling and experiencing. And you're going to be sympathetic to others as they share what they're losing uh, or grieving in this season and time. Now, practically speaking, for both kids and adults, really, it's good to lean into uh, or practice this by asking clarifying questions to yourself, again, or to other people. So it's good to ask things like, can you say more about that? Or can I say more about that? Or I'm not sure I understand, but I want to. Can you try explaining that to me? Or making statements like, I can tell you're hurting and confused and afraid and I'm sorry. Or if you'd like to tell me, I'd like to listen. These kind of uh, statements actually invite other people um, to a place of actually being sympathetic, both with themselves uh, and with you. Uh, So this is a good practice, just some how-tos on how to engage in that more specifically. Now, finally, under the ending, uh, we treat the past with respect. And maybe that sounds easier uh, said than done, I think. Um, In this space, we honor what was. So we honor how things used to be for ourselves and for other people, and we honor it as good. And this is important. Uh, It's it's almost like a situation where you have an ex-boyfriend or something. Only you can talk badly about your ex-boyfriend, but when someone else starts talking badly, you're like, who are you and why are you saying that about this person? It's the same thing. We treat the past with respect because it's sensitive. It's got an emotional connection to us and to who we are and to who we've become. So this is a really important part of the ending. Now, also here, it's important, especially in light of this moment, to not judge your past self for what you didn't know. I keep having pastoral conversations with people who keep saying, I wish I would have known or planned better or been able able to foresee this. And the truth is, we couldn't have known. How could you have known? So again, it's important not to judge your past self for what you didn't know, but to really honor and treat the past with respect. Now, the second part of a transition, as you're moving through the ending, you've done all that good work of processing uh, the end of something, you move into a place called the neutral zone. Now, it's here that for most, anxiety will rise and motivation will fall. Some of you are experiencing that even now. I know I was experiencing that this week even. Now, in this part of the transition, old weaknesses, long since dealt with, often come back in full force. So just a heads up, in the neutral zone, there is a vulnerability to your old rhythms or old ways of life. Here in the neutral zone, um, personal self-care and hygiene often get overlooked. And again, Maybe a word for some of you out there still struggling to take the showers. Uh, This is honestly a normal part of sometimes existing in the neutral zone. Uh, In the neutral zone, uh, it's very important to acknowledge uh, that for many, signals will get mixed. I think about relational dynamics here. And communication often gets damaged. So uh, so much of this reality actually has to do with the grief and the exhaustion of what we are experiencing. And so you can see how communication breaks down a bit. Uh, Signals get mixed. You thought you said one thing, they thought you said the other, and communication a bit damaged. Um, And again, this has to do so much with some of the apathy that we feel due to the loss we've suffered. And this is just a common effect of the neutral zone. 
Also in the neutral zone, many are polarized between staying and moving forward. Uh, this could look like I'm fine, I'm not changing anything, all the way to I'm changing everything. And those kind of things, again, are symptoms of being in the neutral zone in a transition. Now, it's really important uh, because the neutral zone is a little bit chaotic and a little bit crazy. Uh, it's important to have a pathway forward or out of that. So a quick word on how to navigate the neutral zone. Uh, in the neutral zone, it's super important to get a temporary structure in place to support you. Now, we've been talking about this at Bridgetown for weeks. This is that idea of getting a rule of life or a new COVID-19 rule of life. Uh, setting up a temporary structure to help you kind of exist day to day and to do so in a way that actually leans towards health and growth uh, for you as a person or maybe you as a family or you as a unit. This is super important just to help get stability in that place of a neutral zone. Next, I would say anticipate discomfort. Um, look, the neutral zone isn't easy and neither are transitions. And so there's wisdom in being able to say and even anticipate coming discomfort. We know that, again, there are changes ahead for us. So there will be wisdom in being able to anticipate things getting a little bit harder, uh, jobs changing a bit, financial situations shifting. Those kind of things are things we can actually anticipate and do so with the Spirit of God. And that can help us as we navigate through this uh, temporary place. Uh, next, it's good to find what continuity you can. And again, speaks to the rule of life that we've talked about. Any continuity will help bring comfort. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of personality you are. You may be a really um, charismatic and P person on the Myers-Briggs. This is still really helpful for emotional and mental health. So finding continuity can really help you navigate that neutral zone well. Uh, next, I'd say talk or write or process what you're going through. This is a really important part of the journey and of really helping yourself move forward. I underestimate this skill all the time. Uh, not the talking part. I'm very good at that. But the writing part and how significant that has been to my process in the past and in my future. So um, consider doing that. Consider doing these daily exercises, even if it's one or two lines. Don't, don't put pressure on yourself to write a novel or to process um, something perfectly, but to just lean into that practice. And then next, the final kind of statement here is to be patient with the process and to remind yourself of that. Sometimes I put up notes in my house to help remind me of things that are true. And maybe you need to do something like that. Be patient with the process. And by the way, help others do the same. Uh, this journey will look different for all of us. And we're all going to need grace for ourselves and for other people along the way. And that only helps move you through that neutral zone. Now, the ending of the neutral zone is really the beginning of something new. So the beginning is as how you know you're coming out of the new, of the uh, transition. Uh, so here is where you're actually going to start embracing beginning again. So you have your ending, then you have your neutral zone, and then you begin again. And here we um, will have to do good work, and it seems like the funner part funner. Is that a word? More fun part. Uh, but we do good work here still um, amidst it being more hopeful and maybe even more light. Um, so what do we do here? Here we keep whatever new mission we have in front of us. Um, for those of us at Bridgetown, a lot of the narratives we've been holding to is make the most of this time or opportunity. So for us in this transition, we're holding out things like that. What does it mean to begin again in light of making the most of our time or this moment? Uh, also, one of the missions I've had before myself is what the enemy has meant for evil here, God means for good. And I'm hoping that means for revival. I'm hoping that means for renewal for the church. 
Um, so as I keep, as I am moving towards a new beginning, I begin to keep these mantras in front of me or these missions in front of me to help keep me motivated towards what I'm after. Um, and this is also, just as an aside here, this is a personal thing, this is a relational thing, and a corporate thing. So there might be dimensions to your new beginning or the mission you keep in front of you. And those are just some things to keep in mind. Next, in the beginning, you look for some warm relational spots. So this is where you're looking for um, new relationships, new friendships, new depths of relationship, new places you're going in relationship. This is only going to help foster the new beginning. Um, I would say in this moment, uh, we have a unique opp opportunity in our new beginning to reset some of the ways we relate relationally or some of the ways that we choose to bless or not bless other people. This is a great time to just dream about what that could look like. And then finally here in the beginning, you take responsibility and focus on motivation. So what are you taking responsibility for? You're taking responsibility for this moment, for the life that God's given you and for the people who are in it. And this is a, a really a reflection of the fact that you are moving ahead because you have strength and capacity, not just to think about yourself or your current situation, but for other people as well. And then also take responsibility to be motivated. And this, by the way, is an invitation to be creative, to lean into new inspiration and to begin to dream again and really dream with God about what he wants to do and what new things he wants to start. So that's really it. That's kind of the framework and maybe really a practical framework for how we kind of navigate transitions. Now, amidst a transition and often in the neutral zone, there are some themes and questions that arise for us as individuals and even corporately sometimes. And so I just want to say a quick word about this. It's important here to identify some of these themes. I think first and foremost, just to acknowledge that they are very real and they're a vulnerable part of walking through this through a transition at any level. But I believe they also provide a platform of questions or a space for us to begin to process constructively. So uh, here are a few that both you and even children in your life may be experiencing in this moment. Some transitional themes sound like this. Do I belong? Do I matter? Do I have control? Am I competent? Do I have attachment or safe or secure attachment? Do I know who I am? Does my life have meaning? These are all really significant questions that often come up in spaces of transition. So if you're feeling these way, this way, first and foremost, just be mindful that it's okay, that these are actually healthy responses to a transition. As you entertain some of these and as you process them a bit more, the goal would be to let your answers guide or provide direction for your next steps and allow you to see some areas of healing or deeper work that may need to happen in you in the coming season. Now, at the heart of all of these themes and transitions or, or questions, uh, you find a push and an emphasis of understanding the why of a transition. Uh, but if we hope to really move through one well, we have to move from asking why to what, to asking things uh, like, what am I feeling? What is in my power to change? And what can I do next? These questions are both empowering and mobilizing, and I believe essential to taking those next steps. Now, a few more thoughts before we end. 
while in a transition or transitions, remember that it's important to keep mission in front of you. And while transitions are not formulaic per se, each one of them holds an opportunity in them. So a few things to remember and maybe even to encourage you along the way. In transitions, there is an actual pause, and that pause affords us uh, and really makes it possible for us to accept and to work through and incorporate new changes in our life. And that is a positive thing. That's a gift if we can look at it that way. Next, remember that transitions call for significant transformations in your mind and in your life. And in the kingdom of God, that's what we call an opportunity. So transitions can truly be an opportunity for greater transformation in your life. And this is important to think about, to consider, even in this present moment with what we have going on. How are we going to be transformed and what is our opportunity here? Also, um, remember that transitions, just by design, actually open up a deeper need. And therefore, we think a deeper opportunity for meaningful connection to those who are closest to you. So embrace that as an opportunity to draw near to those you love, to those you want to love better or want to love well. This is an opportunity. Uh, In that same vein, transitions also open you up to a deeper need and again, a deeper opportunity for meaningful connection with God, which nourishes our spirituality. And that is pretty significant. Yes, transitions bring change, but there are a lot of benefits to change. I'd encourage you over the next few weeks to just try to think back to the times that you have successfully navigated a previous transition and note how that shaped you and how that changed you and how it changed your life, even for the better. Remember to celebrate and deepen uh, your support network in this season. Reflect on your life. Where has it been? Where is it going? Focus on the positive aspects of the transformation ahead of you. And finally, remember that change is inherent, like I mentioned earlier, to the kingdom of God. We are a death to life people, which means this again is fertile soil for God to do a new work in us. To end, I thought I'd just offer you a few transitional questions to ask yourself as you're moving through this specific moment. They're not prescriptive. They're optional, completely optional for you in this moment. But for me, they've been extraordinarily helpful. So here they are. What is the transition you are experiencing? And what fears are attached to this transition? What are some resources that are available to you right now? Where are you finding God or seeing God in this transition? What centers or grounds you? What helps or energizes you in times of transition? What's one thing you would want your spouse or your friends to know about you in this transition? What is that one thing that you need right now? What is one thing you're willing to commit to, to do in this current transition? What biblical character do you or can you identify with in this current moment? How can you draw encouragement from their life and their story? And finally, what can you do now to honor the past, embrace the present, and prepare for the future. 
May you go in this transition well. May you lean in to the moment and see it as an opportunity for God to do a greater work of transformation in you.